In March of 2020, I began a series of daily intelligence reports on the pandemic crisis, which looked at issues directly related to the coronavirus itself, as well as fallout such as the accompanying financial crisis and oil price war. I put out over 360 of these intelligence reports. The list of people they were sent to included CEOs, folks in the financial and economic world, some folks I knew in the intelligence world, and those who had a specific interest in pandemic-related matters on the medical side. I quit doing it in June of 2021 after 15 months. Why did I stop doing it? The answer is I could no longer do it in good conscience, given that I was increasingly unable to wade through the misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and outright lies being propagated by what we were taught to believe were relevant and credible sources at what point. Let me just say this. Much of the false information is not coming from tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists. The worst of the propaganda is coming from governments and from Big Pharma, enabled largely by the mainstream media and big tech. Five years ago, I would not have believed that this was even possible. Now, however, I believe that it is not only possible, but this sort of thing is becoming the norm. I have made much of my career based on my ability to look at source reliability and information credibility. The Federal Court of Canada has recognized my expertise in this area. I've taught the same subject to different courses that featured special advocate lawyers and judges. I've testified to it in court. I've written articles about it. But it has not prepared me for the current onslaught of well-funded fake info that we're facing today. What I will present today, however, is information that I believe is both credible and reliable. As I said, I first began working on this pandemic back in early 2020, and I'd earlier worked on pandemic and intelligence issues way back in 2006 and 2007 following the SARS crisis. What follows is my assessment on where we're at so far in a number of issues related to the pandemic and where we're going. Spoil alert, things are not going well. We are making the problem worse at the moment rather than better, and I believe it will all end badly. There are now reasonable grounds to suggest that crimes against humanity charges could occur in the future based on what we know right now. terrorism and national security expert with over 30 years of practical intelligence and military experience. A former senior fellow at S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies at the Nanyang Technological University, Singapore, he has 30 plus years of practical intelligence experience in a variety of positions, including the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Bank of Canada, Canadian Armed Forces, United Nations Protection Force in Yugoslavia, Citizenship and Immigration Canada, War Crimes, International War Crimes Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, The Hague, Privy Council Office of Canada. And in addition, Tom was a qualified arms control inspector for the conventional forces in the Europe Treaty and the Vienna Document. Thomas Quiggan is a court-qualified expert on terrorism, the criminal court and the federal court. 
and intelligence collection as evidence. Considered one of the leading experts in his field, Tom Quiggan has testified on multiple occasions to the Canadian Senate, the Canadian House of Commons committees, as well as the Royal Commission Air India inquiry of 2007, and provided testimony to the Special Senate Committee on Anti-Terrorism in 2010, and if you can believe it, much, much more. Tom Quiggan's book, Submission, The Danger of Political Islam to Canada with a Warning to America, it is a must read to understand the current status of jihadist activity in the US and Canada. Hop on to Amazon and search for Submission, The Danger of Political Islam to Canada with a Warning to America to get your book today. And while you're online, please give the podcast a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or Google Play. And follow us, of course, on our social networks. And thank you to our growing number of listeners and supporters. We appreciate each and every one of you. Now, discussing a pandemic, the fallout, the government, the science and everything else is a massive topic and it would require like weeks of discussion and trying to chop this down to one podcast is a bit tough. However, these are the issues I'm going to discuss and this is the order the issues will be in. Number one, is the pandemic real and was it planned? Two, do vaccines work? Three, What about the all-in campaign of vaccines only, and why are we not looking at alternative methods? Four, were the current vaccines properly tested? Five, are the current vaccines actually working? Six, why the failure to treat COVID-19 and why the witch hunt against doctors who do? Seven, what about the Delta variant? Eight, what about the propaganda campaign and the willful false information? Nine, the role of the media, and 10, the outlook for the future. Now, let us address these issues in the order I just mentioned. First thing, is the pandemic real and was it planned? I would say this, the current problem with the COVID-19 virus is real. The virus exists and it's quite capable of killing people. It is especially lethal for people who are 65 and over and have a variety of comorbidities such as type 2 diabetes, obesity, dementia, or if they're already in a situation where their immune system has been compromised by something such as cancer treatments. Overall, however, it appears that the virus is no more dangerous to the average healthy person than many forms of the flu out there currently floating around. And... The current coronavirus, as it stands, is less dangerous than MERS or SARS. Additionally, young people are no more at risk of dying from COVID than they are from any one number of a series of threats which they face in their lives on a daily basis. It is also increasingly clear that the virus did originate in Wuhan, China. It is also highly probable the virus itself came into existence as a result of -of gain-of-function research carried out in Wuhan, China. It should be noted, however, that this gain-of-function research was, in part, 
justified and funded by the American National Institute of Health with the knowing approval of its head, Dr. Fauci, and of course, many other people involved as well. There have been a series of attempts to silence those who suggest these ideas, but that silencing effort is gradually failing as the documentation supporting it is gradually leaking out. Many people believe that this thing really is a pandemic, or that the whole thing is part of some big giant conspiracy theory. I've seen no information to suggest that is even vaguely credible, that any individual or organization planned this particular problem ahead of time. Now, many people have in the past discussed what a future pandemic might look like. A few of them have been relatively close to what's happening. But again, there's no evidence to show that their staring into the future was actual planning. Correlation, by the way, is not causation as we know. I also believe that the coronavirus most likely made its way from a lab into the real world sometime in the summer of 2019. It is also quite clear that hospitals in Wuhan, China, were dealing with an unknown series of problems in September and October of 2019. So it is fairly safe to say that the virus has been out there floating around the world for about two years or a little more at this point. China clearly bears primary responsibility for how this virus made its way out into the world. And it was China, of course, that failed to inform the rest of the world this occurring until it was really too late. But it should also be made clear that the American National Institute of Health played an active role in promoting the research and taking the incredible high-risk gain-of-function steps. More bizarrely is that the Prime Minister of Canada has overturned a few hundred years of parliamentary tradition and banned the Canadian Parliament from gaining access to documents concerning Canada's Level 4 lab in Winnipeg and the Chinese scientist who used to work there before they defected and showed up in, guess where, Wuhan, China. It's clear the scientific research being done in Winnipeg had something to do with all of this. The massive nature and the unprecedented abuse of power by the Prime Minister suggests there is some form of commonality of research between what was going on in Winnipeg and what was going on in Wuhan. Second question, do vaccines work? Here's the answer. Yes, vaccines work. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I have had multiple vaccines for polio, tetanus, typhoid, meningitis, tick-borne encephalitis, and a bunch of other things I can't even pronounce. To the best of my knowledge, I have never had a negative reaction to a vaccine that lasted for more than one day. So, just as a little thought experiment, ask yourself a question. Have you ever met anybody with polio? Have you ever seen anybody with polio alive? Have you ever heard of anybody in your circle of friends that happens to know somebody that might have had polio at some point? If you live in North America or Europe, the answer to all these questions is probably no. The reason for that is that the polio vaccine actually worked. Not the first one, not on the first try, it was a bit of a disaster. But once they got it figured out, the polio vaccine actually works, and the only places in the world now where there's still polio is in those countries that refuse to do polio vaccinations, usually for reasons of religious extremism. So, ask yourself the same question. Do you know a lot of people with cholera, tetanus, typhoid, 
The answer is you probably don't, and that's because, by and large, vaccines have worked. Overall, they have been a benefit to humanity. However, just because previous vaccines worked and were a benefit doesn't mean the current ones are, especially given that the mRNA vaccines we're using now are a whole new series of novel approaches in an attempt to create immunity. More on that later. Third question, why did we have this all-in campaign on vaccines? The governments have made it clear vaccines are the only approach to treating the pandemic. Everybody has to be vaccinated. Why? I mean, they're in absolute lockstep with each other in the West. So even now, as we are two years into the problem, many governments still have one policy that says the only way to approach this problem is through the absolute application of vaccines. President Biden is saying now they need 96 or 97 percent of all people vaccinated. Why? Even in the early stages of this, they were saying 60, 70 percent, we get herd immunity, we're good to go. Now, these are the same governments that will not do early stage treatment. They will not allow any sort of off-label drugs to be tested or used. More so than just off-label drugs, we also have the incredibly dense, half-witted Canadian health minister. This person was asked about the role of vitamin D in Parliament and whether it should be presented to the population as a possible prophylactic measure to allow people to strengthen their lungs if they happen to be vitamin D deficient due to a lack of sunshine or perhaps a bad diet. The response from the health minister a year and a half into the pandemic was that she didn't deal with information like that. She said it was misinformation. So even though vitamin D has been taught in schools in Canada as far back as the 1960s, and I know that because I was one of the kids on the receiving end of it, we're now being told by the health minister in parliament that, oh, this thing about vitamin D helping your lungs, ah, that's misinformation, don't listen to it. How is that even possible? Anyway, so you have to ask a question. Why go all in on a plan, that is to say vaccines only, and then not have a plan B? One reason lies in legalities, policy, bureaucracy, government. None of the vaccines being given out now in the United States and in most other countries have been approved for general usage, contrary to statements from the U.S., Canadian governments, and many others. The vaccines were given emergency approval only, and that approval can only be granted if there is no other way of dealing with the virus that is causing the pandemic. So the official position of governments became that the emergency vaccine is the only possible way to treat the coronavirus and there is no other approved method. That justified the incredibly expensive emergency use of the vaccine and was used to effectively shut down any discussion about any other drug or any other treatment method. We now find ourselves with a unique position in modern medical history. Typically, no matter how sick you are or how ill you are when you get to a hospital, and especially in a place like Canada or America, they'll try and figure out something to treat you or some way to extend your life. If you show up in the hospital having had a heart attack, fourth stage cancer of the pancreas, and you were just in a car accident and have almost bled out, they will try and find something to help you. The only disease in Canada and the United States and many other countries right now they refuse to treat is 
COVID-19. You were told, oh, I'm sorry, there's no official treatment for this, so just go home. Come back in when you can't breathe anymore and we'll stick you on a ventilator. More interestingly, if a doctor suggests to the hospital that there could be an alternative treatment or an off-label treatment to assist the patient, the doctor is then subjected to abuse from the hospital authorities and threatened with dismissal. And in fact, that's happening. This is unprecedented in modern medicine. How are we in the year 2021 looking people straight in the eye and telling them, no, nah, there's no treatment for COVID-19, just go home. And oh yeah, by the way, it's your fault. You should have got vaccinated. How is this even happening? Next question. Were the current vaccines properly tested? Was the approval process followed? The typical testing and approval period for a vaccine seems to run anywhere between 7 and 15 years. In other words, rolling out a vaccine is a long-term project. The current vaccines were rushed into creation, production, testing, and distribution in well under a year. Information from whistleblowers exposed by Freedom of Information requests have increasingly showed that multiple shortcuts occurred, risks were taken, certain folks were excluded from the trials, testing results were ignored and buried, and in many cases, there was no control group. In other words, the testing programs, built up successfully over years, demonstrated the vaccines failed to meet even the most basic safety standards, and all of that was completely ignored. Let me give you an example of what's wrong here. A few of you may remember the swine flu, which kind of went around the world a while ago, and it was thought to be quite serious. A bunch of people were getting sick, so there was a vaccine created, and about 25% of people in America were vaccinated. Once this 25% level was reached, they noticed that there was an unusual number of people dying that they couldn't explain, about 50 of them. So what did they do? They shut down the whole program. What's happening now? Despite massive evidence that there's large numbers of people dying from this vaccine, they're just carrying on. The safety protocols and risks aren't there. And oh yeah, by the way, if you try to sue the manufacturer for any damage from it, you're told you can't. The government guaranteed the vaccine manufacturers they can't be sued for their current work. If that's not a red flag, I'm not sure what is. Next question, and this is really the most difficult question. Are the current vaccines working? There is no one simple, clear answer to that question. After two years of digging through the data, it's hard to say. However, we can say a number of things with some clarity. The hard data is increasingly supporting the idea while the vaccines may have had a short-term degree of efficacy, they are now not working effectively. They are not a panacea. You may remember less than a year ago, we were told that, you know, oh, if we get about 60 or 70% of people vaccinated, then we'll get this kind of herd immunity thing, and then society can go back to normal, and won't that be great? Well, clearly, that's not happening. A number of countries are now in the 75 to 85% range. A number of jurisdictions have done even better. And what's happening? To the contrary, many countries with high vaccination rates are now leading in case rates. So whatever is happening, the simple reality is the vaccine is not knocking down the total case numbers. Or, more correctly, it did for a while, and now they've come right back. Countries such as Israel and Singapore led the world in the vaccination process. These are organized countries, scientific sort of countries, countries run by smart people. 
they had more people vaccinated quicker than most other countries. But now Israel has severe problems. They are now describing fully vaccinated individuals as someone who has three shots and not just two. On top of that, they now have more daily case numbers since they've achieved a mass level of vaccination than they did before their vaccination program began. If vaccines work, how can you have more problems after the vaccination than you had before? Well, let's look at the city of Bremen in Germany, another kind of organized country with, you know, relatively smart people running it. The city of Bremen has the highest rate of vaccinations in all of Germany, reportedly somewhere around 80% of the folks in Bremen are vaccinated. Bremen also holds the doubtful title, by far and away, of having the highest incident rate for COVID-19 in all of Germany. How can that be? Singapore had the highest ever daily single rise in case numbers. And guess what? They had a population of around 83% vaccinated. The case rate went from single-digit numbers in late September to 500 cases a day on the 8th of October to almost 3,000 cases a day on the 12th of October. Something is quite wrong here. These are clean countries, organized countries, smart people countries. Why, if they are following the vaccine protocols almost to a T, are they suffering so badly? Well, the data is showing an increasing problem. The vaccines have an efficacy that seems to last at least six months and maybe out to as much as 12 months before they fall off and become, well, ineffective. Worse still, the vaccine does not stop the vaccinated person from having the virus in their system and shedding it and spreading it to others around them. In other words, Despite the fact you've been double vaccinated, you can still be a carrier and still be a spreader. You are, at the initial stages of the vaccine, less likely to get sick. And if you get sick, you're less likely to die. So that's a good thing. But you don't get immunity. It doesn't last very long. And you are still a spreader. The data also shows something else. A person who got COVID and survived then has a level of natural immunity that is much stronger than somebody who's been double, double vaccinated, but since then, a significant period of time has gone by. So, it looks like natural immunity occurs from COVID, and that's a good thing. Once again, let's be clear, folks who are double vaccinated during the initial period of six months to a year are in a better position than somebody who hasn't been. But, it doesn't last. And by the way, they're still shredding it. However, the worst problem with the vaccines may not be they just aren't the panacea we were promised. The problem may be that the vaccines have inadvertently created the Delta variant, which is now the predominant variant in almost all areas where it's being monitored. The current vaccines are almost completely ineffective against the Delta variant, at least the mRNA vaccines, which is why countries like Israel and many parts of Europe are now seeing case numbers shoot up again. Not only are the vaccines not working as well as they're supposed to, it's become increasingly apparent they are having lethal side effects. The Center for Disease Control maintains a system called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It should be noted that sending information into the system is voluntary, and many doctors and hospitals don't do it. Also, individuals, as just private citizens, can send in their own results. However, due to the massive caseloads created by the pandemic, 
the reporting is believed to be weeks to months behind. So the data may be a bit soft and it may be lagging significantly in time. However, a number of interesting things do come out of the current reporting, which certainly run up a red flag, which should be driving further investigation and not more silence. This system, again, run by the Center for Disease Control, shows that the number of deaths from all vaccines from 1990 up to the present was about 9,104. So, in over 30 years, vaccines were shown to have killed approximately 9,000 people. However, in the first 10 months of use, the Center for Disease Control system records that 15,386 people have died from the coronavirus vaccine. The numbers, as I said, are a bit soft, and they're, in all actuality, probably a bit low. But how is it that's not being discussed? How come that red flag isn't being discussed? How can a novel, untested biological substance be injected into people when it looks like it's killing a lot of them? And as I mentioned earlier, think back to the swine flu vaccine, where they believe they killed about 50 people with unexplained deaths, and they canned the entire program. Something different seems to be happening this time, and it's not clear what. Tom Quiggan is an expert on national security and counterterrorism, and in his book, Seeing the Invisible, National Security Intelligence in an Uncertain Age, he explores that emerging asymmetric threats are changing the game, and that for intelligence to be effective, our governments must adapt at a core strategic level to overcome the new challenges that face us. Running a country has so many facets from political, financial, strategic, welfare, security and so much more. As citizens, we'd like to believe it is a well-oiled machine. But the truth is we all know that the majority of government organisations are slow to react to change. Being a few steps behind is not ideal, but when it comes to our country's security, the side effects should not be taken lightly. Tom makes a detailed and in-depth analysis of the current situation and what must be done to face these challenges. Whether you hold the power to incite these changes or not, as I started off saying at the beginning, knowledge is power, and finding out about our intelligent organisations and how they link with national security is truly fascinating. To pick up a copy of your book yourself, pop onto Amazon.com and search for Seeing the Invisible, National Security Intelligence in an Uncertain Age by Tom Quiggan. While you're online, please remember to give the podcast a review on iTunes or Stitcher and follow us on our social networks, which all have the same username, at Quiggan Report, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Minds, and Gab.ai. If you'd like to ask your own question on the topics of intelligence, national security, and the likes to Tom Quiggan himself, go to patreon.com slash Report to see how. Now back to the podcast. The vaccine-adverse system the reporting system, also looks at birth defects caused by the vaccines. The results are about the same. There were 139 reported birth defects caused by vaccinations in the time period from 1990 up to the present, or that is to say October 2020. Again, about 30 years. However, in 10 months, the COVID-19 vaccines were responsible for 475 adverse events, which were categorized as birth defect. That's amazing. But yet, young pregnant women are still being told, oh no, go ahead and take the vaccine, everything's fine, don't worry about those silly numbers, everything's great, you can trust the government. 
Now, the other interesting bit of data that's coming out separately from the CDC shows that about 20,000 Americans have been permanently disabled after receiving the vaccine. And remember, we're less than one year into the distribution program for the coronavirus vaccine. Something else interesting here that needs to be discussed in this same question. The intent of a vaccine, of course, is to have the body react and to help the body find a level of immunity using its own defense systems. The mRNA vaccines are a bit different. They put about 120 amino acids into you and they hope to create what's called a spike protein. If they get the formulation correctly, the spike protein can go out there and beat up on the coronavirus and beat up on it pretty good. If they get the formulation wrong and it's too low, the vaccine doesn't work. But if they get the formulation wrong and it's too strong, the spike protein then goes out and attacks your organs and does something else, including causing thrombosis, which is a fancy way of saying blood clots. So here is the thing. The testing on this is new. A series of vaccines in the past have been created for SARS, MERS, AIDS, and other coronatype viruses. Every one of them eventually failed due to a whole series of complications. But nonetheless, this new mRNA vaccine, or a series of them, were pumped out the door even though the spike protein upon which the whole process depends is a very lethal protein. Never before in modern medicine have we injected people or injected them in such a way that we wanted to create a lethal protein in their body. All very strange. Now, the sixth question. We've already discussed it a bit, but why this failure to treat? In Canada and many other jurisdictions, people who are assessed as having COVID-19 are simply told to go home. They are told there is no treatment available for COVID-19 and they won't hospitalize you until you're to a point where you actually need a ventilator. The official reason for this is there is no treatment for COVID-19. The hospitals are not allowed to attempt any form of treatment, or at least not legally. But what happens if you ask for a drug, say, ivermedicin? They won't give it to you. They will ridicule you. If your doctor dares to suggest the use of this drug, the doctor can be forced out of the hospital and lose their license. But ivermedicin has been used extensively in a number of other countries in a successful manner. Remember all those pictures of India we were seeing a while ago where there was mass funeral pyros? People were being burned if they died from COVID-19. The streets were full of dead people. And oh my God, it was a horrendous thing. The pandemic, as we were being told, was completely out of control. Well, in India, they undertook a mass program of ivermedicine and used it as an early intervention tool. As soon as you look like you might have COVID, they put the ivermedicine to you. The program has been successful. Japan has been using it successfully. So has Peru, Mexico, and other countries. But yet, so-called news organizations like CNN will try to tell you that it is horse paste and it's only to be used for deworming horses. Without going too far into it, this is blatantly false information. The inventor of ivermedicine won a Nobel Prize for his work and the drug at the time was intended for human use. There are in my opinions, two significant problems with ivermedicine, and this is why the system, such as it is, is so viciously reacting to it. The drug, by the way, is no longer under patent control, and virtually anyone can produce it. 
the cost of producing it seems to run from several cents a pill up to maybe a dollar a pill. In other words, because there is no patent payments to be made anymore, it's incredibly cheap to make. It's an incredibly cheap form of treatment. Therefore, no large pharmacy company can make big money off it. The other problem is that it does appear to be a viable treatment for COVID-19, especially if it is administered in a cocktail form and especially if it is used early on. So think back to what I was discussing earlier where I said that there are vaccines out there being used because they've been issued under emergency measures. One of those measures, one of those emergency standards that has to be met is that the vaccine can only be issued under an emergency standard if there is no other effective treatment. Well, what happens if you show that ivermectin is an effective treatment? That would invalidate the entire distribution program of the current vaccines run by the big pharmacy companies in America. That's a real problem. Now, let's go on to the seventh question. How does the Great Reset begin? Will it be multiple terrorist attacks? an inexplicable assassination, or something else. In The New Order of Fear, the first novel in the Great Reset trilogy, follow investigator Jochen Stemhammer as he tracks an entangled web of global organizations, wealthy power brokers, and insiders who may or may not be the ones responsible for the weaponization of political violence in Europe that may lead to a Great Reset. Written by renowned ex-military intelligence analyst Tom Quiggin and host of the Quiggin Report podcast, The New Order of Fear is fiction based in reality. Many nuggets of intel are leaked in this novel that are the basis of current real-life ongoing investigations, which makes this story all that more compelling. The Great Reset trilogy explores how global organizations and the world's most powerful individuals seek to remake the world into a Marxian-inspired totalitarian system built on technology and surveillance. Go to Amazon.com and search for The New Order of Fear to get your copy today. And while you're online, leave a review for The Quiggin Report and follow us on our social media feeds. Now back to the podcast. This question concerns the Delta variant. At this point, it seems fair enough to say that the future of the Delta variant will be the future of the pandemic, and it will drive the response of the various governments and authorities involved. Reliable data is increasingly proving that the current vaccines have little to no effect on the Delta variant, at least, again, the mRNA ones. This is why it is growing so quickly in many countries that still have super high vaccination rates. On top of that, it is an increasing possibility that the Delta variant occurs and spreads because of the vaccines and not in spite of them. By vaccinating into the pandemic, rather than vaccinating ahead of a pandemic, the novel mRNA vaccines may be creating a biological environment in your body where the coronavirus mutates and produces a new virus that cannot be treated by the current vaccines. That's an interesting problem, isn't it? The eighth question, the propaganda campaign the massive spread of willful false information. As I mentioned, I quit doing an intelligence report because I literally just couldn't figure my way through the massive propaganda that's being distributed right now. It's hard. So what are we looking at here? The propaganda campaign, I think, is beginning to unravel as the truth gradually leaks out. However, I think the propaganda campaign can in one way be reduced to one word, cases. 
We continuously see reports that there were 10 new cases of COVID-19 in a certain school. There's been an outbreak. There's a thousand new cases of COVID-19 reported in some city somewhere. The number of cases could exceed 10 million by next year, cry the propagandists. But what does that even mean? It is generally known that the PCR tests that are being used are highly unreliable in this application. The guy that invented them said it. He said it's a misapplication of his test to be using it in such a way. And the reason it's such a misuse is that there are large numbers of people who test positive who have no actual symptoms, signs, or are carrying COVID-19 at all. And of course, without going into a lot of detail, if you increase the number of cycles in the test, you increase the level of false positives. In other words, all of the propaganda has been supported by these huge numbers of cases, and the huge numbers of cases have been generated largely by false positive reporting. This case problem is also another kind of problem that sort of falls out of it. It's a bit different. But what about this? We keep getting told that, oh, look, this poor child died because of COVID. Oh, it's a case. That case could have been stopped if they weren't, you know, resistant to being vaccinated. One particularly horrible case occurred in the province of Alberta. A 14-year-old child died in a hospital after an extended problem with brain cancer. Now, here's the interesting thing. They were given a COVID test one day before the child died of brain cancer. Authorities in the province of Alberta then used that case to tell people, oh, look, you have to get your child vaccinated for COVID-19 or, you know, look, you'll be a really bad parent. Your child could die just like this. They forgot to mention, of course, that the child died of a two-year trauma caused by the brain cancer. It was pure propaganda. They willfully lied to the public about the death of this poor child. The sister and another relative came out and they were furious the fact that their poor brother, who died of this rather horrible disease, was being used purely for propaganda. But that's just one case. How bad is the fake news being pushed out by the governments? Are people really dying from COVID? Do we have these massive case numbers? Or are they dying from something else and perhaps they just happened to test positive for COVID using one of these highly unreliable PCR tests. This gets kind of interesting. A court ruling in Lisbon, Portugal came out. It seems that a number of good citizens didn't believe the government propaganda, so they started a petition in which they are able to force the government to release the data that showed how many people had died of COVID-19. The period of time involved was from January of 2020, that is to say just before the pandemic got going, up to April 2021. So basically a 16-month period of which about 13 months was considered to be prime pandemic time. The government of Portugal claims that 17,000 people have died from COVID-19. But when the court ordered the numbers released and did an assessment of them, it seemed that it was about 152 people that died from COVID, not 17,000. Imagine that, from 17,000 dead down to 152 dead. Not even close, less than 1%. To be clear, all of those other people who died, the 17,000 they were talking about, did have a positive PCR test, but they didn't die from COVID. 
unless you think this is some sort of statistical anomaly or some sort of weird thing going on in one country, Italy's Institute of Health has done something similar under outside pressure. In late October of 2021, it said that only those who died from COVID-19 would be counted rather than those who died with a positive COVID test. So when they recalculated the numbers, it's a bit of a change. The earlier number was 130,468 dead folks because of COVID-19, because of the coronavirus. After they were done kind of separating out a bit, that number then went down to 3,783. A drop, incidentally, of like more than 120,000 people. So the Italian government was throwing everybody into a panic. They've got this massive vaccine mandate program saying, you know, oh my God, 130,000 people have died from the pandemic. Well, it turns out the real number is around 3,700. And oh yeah, by the way, for those who actually died, it would appear that about 67% of them had three comorbidities and a large number of others had two comorbidities. In other words, the COVID probably did them in, but it only did in those people, or largely only did in those people who had already existing problems. Based on those two examples, it appears that the number of people who are actually dying from COVID-19 is somewhere around 1% to 3% of the total numbers actually being claimed by governments. Now, when you start to drill into other countries around the world, you start seeing the same sort of problems, you see the same sort of cover-ups. But again, that narrative is starting to unwind. However, I would suggest to you in terms of propaganda, in terms of the most blatant lies, the prize for this entire process goes to President Biden of America. President Biden had said earlier this year, 2021, that if you've been waiting for the FDA to approve a vaccine before you went out and got one, now is the time. The mainstream media reported that Biden had announced that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine has been approved. There's only one little problem with this. It's completely false. It's a blatant lie. Go back and dig into it and you'll find something interesting lying behind the fake headlines. The Pfizer vaccine, the one that you see advertised everywhere, the one you get down at your local clinic, wasn't approved, it's not approved, and it's not on track to be approved. The vaccine that was approved, the one that President Biden was talking about, is the BioNTech vaccine. And it will not be available for distribution until sometime in mid-2022. In fairness, BioNTech is a subsidiary company of Pfizer, so you can kind of sort of say that a Pfizer vaccine was approved, but not the Pfizer vaccine. The reality is, as of today, you cannot get an approved vaccine anywhere in the United States. And by the way, the BioNTech vaccine that has been approved is approved for use on variant testing that was done before the Delta variant was even heard of. So in other words, yes, there is a vaccine out there. Yes, it has been approved, but you can't get it because it's not out there. And when it does come out, it won't be aimed at the actual problem that's out there now. President Biden and the mainstream media have been involved what could be politely described as a propaganda campaign to mislead people into getting a vaccine which they were told had gone through the FDA process for approval when in fact it hadn't. That's the simple truth. Also, worth remembering that the U.S. federal government 
tells you you cannot sue Pfizer at the moment because they've been granted an indemnity. How do you like that? Are you looking for a new book to dive into? Then check out audiobooks.com. With over 150,000 premium titles, they have an incredible selection of books to get stuck into, whatever your genre of preference. Listening to audiobooks makes reading incredibly easy and enjoyable. Not only do you have instant access to thousands of titles, but powerful narrators can bring the text to life, often giving a book more meaning than just flicking through the pages itself. Do more with audiobooks and start your next book while multitasking, doing the laundry, taking a drive, going for a walk, doing exercise or something else. With audiobooks, you can even read your books with your eyes closed. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial and get three audiobooks completely free. Go to www.audiobooks.com and click sign up to get started. And please help support the podcast by entering our promo code, OpenCollege, which is all one word. Fall in love with books again with audiobooks.com. And while you're online, please show your support for the podcast by leaving a view on your favorite media player. Now back to the podcast. What about the media and all this? It's an interesting question. Overall, it can be assessed that the Western media has done a poor to really bad job of examining a number of key components of the pandemic. I'm not overly critical of the media for the first six months. It was a panic. Nobody knew what was going on. It was new information. A lot of strange things happening. But the media doesn't seem to want to investigate now where the pandemic actually began because it most likely began in China, and oh dear, it's not politically correct to say that. It's also highly probable that the vaccine is being used to to treat a virus which was, guess what, created in a lab. It's pretty clear that it didn't occur naturally, whatever St. Fauci and the National Institute of Health say otherwise. The media does not want to address the issue of how many people are declared to be cases versus how many people are actually infected or sick. If they did, their headlines of fear would no longer sell. The media, quite frankly, I think has fallen down badly by not looking at the entire source of the virus, how it got funded, how the gain-of-function research was done, etc. And this is critical, critical information. It is coming out now, however, and I think a lot of people's reputations in the future are going to be hammered, especially in the mainstream media, when it can be shown they were pretty much covering this up. The mainstream media is also categorically refusing to report a number of different types of cases. For instance, boys with no underlying health conditions, and by here we mean guys who are 12 to 17 years old, it would appear the chance of a cardiac adverse event or hospitalization for a cardiac adverse event after their second dose with a mRNA vaccine is higher than the 120-day risk of a COVID-19 hospitalization even if it occurs at a time and place of peak disease prevalence. In other words, for males 12 to 17, they have a greater chance of having a cardiac adverse event from the vaccine than they do from being hospitalized from COVID if you just left them alone with nothing. There's also a series of bizarre events surrounding athletes who we generally assume are relatively healthy people. But their number of them seem to be dropping dead in heart-related incidents. A 24-year-old Slovak hockey player tragically died after collapsing on the ice in early November. It was cardiac arrest, and guess what? He'd been double vaccinated. Canadian University football player Francis Perron died shortly after a match. The reason? Well, 
Not given. We're not allowed to ask about it. In France, a 19-year-old FC Nantes soccer player suffered a cardiac arrest during training. A Uruguayan soccer player on the River Plate team in Buenos Aires is diagnosed with thrombosis, a blood clot in his left foot. He had to leave a match partway through the game. Emil Paulsson, a slight Icelandic football midfielder who plays in Norway, collapsed after suffering a cardiac arrest in the first half of a match. A soccer player with the Deportivo Club from Argentina's General Laval League died a week after being diagnosed with blood clots after his second dose. In Israel, individuals are being told not to do vigorous exercise for up to seven days after being vaccinated. What's that all about? I'm not saying that these guys died directly from the vaccine, but there is an increasingly large body of evidence to show that the vaccine and adverse cardiac events kind of seem to go hand in hand. So where is the outrage? Where is the questioning? Why is the media not drilling into this? There's an important field of things to be studied here, but the question is going largely unaddressed. So, what sort of factual conclusions can we draw at this point? After all this information, after all this time, where are we at? Well, the first thing is this. The vaccines, especially the mRNA vaccines, are not a panacea. They are not a cure-all. We were once told that once we get to 70% of persons being vaccinated, we'll return to normal. This is clearly not happening. Plan A, the total commitment to vaccines, hasn't worked. We need plan B. Second, the vaccines have been effective, at least in the short run, in cutting down the total number of cases, the total number of those hospitalized, and the total numbers of those dying. So that's a good thing. Unfortunately, it appears that the efficacy rate of the vaccines dropped dramatically in the first six months and then continue to drop after that. Hence the reason for the booster shots and the discussions about the third shot and now discussions about the fourth shot. In short, the vaccines do not give you immunity. They give you protection for a short period of time. And during that period of protection, you can still get the virus and shed it and spread it to other people. So for all those people who are going around, you know, discussing how high and moral they are because they've been double vaccinated, the reality is you're spreading it as badly as anybody else. The third thing, those mRNA vaccines that were partially effective in the early stages of the pandemic against the earlier COVID-19 virus are now proving largely ineffective against the Delta variant, which now seems to be the predominant variant. The current vaccines appear to be not working and are ineffective as we move into what some folks are describing as a fourth or fifth wave, depending where you are. Another thing we can say with some clarity is that those cities, regions, and countries with particularly high rates of vaccine distribution are now having some of the highest case rates. This could not be happening if the vaccines were working as originally advertised. Another point worth making, countries such as India, which have taken a multi-path response to the pandemic, appear to be having better success. Rather than depending on a very expensive program of just vaccines, they're using off-label drugs and other forms of early treatment. Early intervention plus smart use of off-label drugs seems to equal success for them. If it works in India, works in Japan, works in Peru, works in Mexico, why aren't we looking at it everywhere else? Now, the sixth thing. 
The mRNA vaccines work by getting the body to produce a deadly spike protein. Increasingly, however, it looks like the spike protein created is effective in going after the virus if produced in the right level in an individual. But the spike protein is also a lethal toxin. The mRNA vaccines are the first ones in history which work by telling the body to produce a lethal toxin internally. If there is too much spike protein, it attacks the organs and creates blood clots. Doesn't that sound like an issue we should be discussing a little more out loud? And the last thing, on the surface of it, the use of vaccine mandates appears illogical. You have to be double vaccinated to go to a restaurant. You have to be double vaccinated and have a PCR test to get on a train in Canada or to fly across Canada or to fly to Europe or whatever. Why do you need to be double vaccinated and have a PCR test that is negative? If the vaccines actually work and if they actually produced immunity, then why do you still need the test? But the bottom line is the vaccines are not producing immunity. They're changing the definition of what a vaccination is. And it's increasingly clear that what the vaccines do is reduce your exposure to risk for a limited period of time. That is where we are at with the vaccines. Now, what about an outlook? This is incredibly difficult. Looking into the future is always difficult. And in a situation like this, it, it, you're looking forward into a dense fog. It's really hard to come up with any hard conclusions. But let's look at a few things we know for sure. The coronavirus has been in circulation now for about 24 to 26 months. In other words, two years in round terms. According to the World Health Organization, we've been in a state, a political state, of a global pandemic for about 20 months. The outlook is uncertain. Clearly, the idea of vaccines as a panacea to all our problems has failed. They're not going to save us, at least not in the way we were told. Now that we have 80% of many jurisdictions double vaccinated, we're told we need a third shot, and now we're discussing the fourth shot. So it would appear that from the folks who support the vaccine, the idea is just to keep on vaccinating with second shot, third shot, fourth shot, etc. It's also very clear the vaccines were rushed to market and Big Pharma has reaped in tens of billions of dollars in profits. But it's also increasingly clear that incredible shortcuts were taken. Safety protocols were largely ignored. And there's a body of evidence starting to show that there's been a price for all of this. And we're not being told what that price is because it runs against the standard total narrative preferred by most governments. There is also substantial scientific evidence to suggest the Delta variant may in fact have been created by the widespread use of vaccines, while at the same time it is mutated in such a way that the current vaccines are ineffective. So for the immediate future, it looks like the Delta variant will continue to drive up the case numbers, which is what continues to drive up government panic and overstepping. It's not clear where that's going. Now, a number of companies are announcing that they've got new drugs that can treat you, that can cure, not necessarily cure you, but reduce the damage and make you less likely to wind up in hospital. One of those drugs currently being suggested for use in the United States, and it may be approved soon, looks amazingly like ivermedicine under a different name. So maybe that's good news. Folks have actually realized that drugs like ivermedicine and that can be useful, but they just don't want to admit it. And oh yeah, by the way, this new drug is looking at, like it may be around $100 a treatment instead of the dollar a pill for ivermedicine. Anyway, where the response to the pandemic is going also remains unclear. 
the signals are very mixed. Some governments, such as Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, etc., have essentially declared the pandemic over, and they are attempting to return to normal. No more social distancing, no more vaccine mandates, no more, you know, walking down grocery aisles in one direction and all that kind of good stuff. In the United States, however, President Biden is now pushing for a massive new vaccine mandate to take effect in early January 2022. And President Biden has not backed down from his statement that he says he wants 96 or 97 percent of all people in America vaccinated, including your children. It would appear that in the future, the pressure will be on to vaccinate the 5 to 12-year-old set, even though there's no real evidence to show these kids are at risk of getting the coronavirus, nor are they spreaders of the coronavirus. So, it's hard to say. Here in Canada, we're looking at a third round of vaccination shots, which are probably going to start in January of 2023 or sometime just after that. Now, how it is in Canada and America that we're pushing for tougher vaccine programs when other countries are rejecting them is not so much a question of science, I don't believe, as it is one of politics. It's also been increasingly clear, as I mentioned, that a variety of governments have blatantly lied through their teeth and produced massively false statistics to justify their programs, especially those which have cracked down on civil liberties. The Italian example I mentioned, whereby the stats of 130,000 dead is now down to like 3,800, gives you an insight into the scale of fraudulent reporting. I think in the future, as we move ahead, governments are going to be under increasing pressure to start becoming a bit more honest on this. People need to start demanding it. How many people are actually dying from the COVID and not just dying with a false PCR positive test? It is my own view at this point that the current narrative around the pandemic and the vaccines are failing. As this narrative continues to fail, the degrees to which vaccines have been damaging public health, civil liberties, and the economy is going to become more apparent. And it's not going to be pretty. Folks are not going to be happy when they start figuring out how big pharma and big tech have essentially taken over the response to a pandemic in a way that has suited them and didn't necessarily help your health all that much. I don't believe it's an overreach to say that within a year or two, we will see wide-scale discussions against the folks that were involved in this. What are these discussions going to include? There's going to be discussions about crimes against humanity charges being laid against those who, in the interest of their own power and wealth, set the world on a path of global lockdowns and massive deprivations of civil liberties. As in all situations like this, the best way to do the investigation, follow the money. So looking forward, I think we're going to have another year or more of political turmoil, political upset, lockdowns, vaccine mandates, the government coming after your children, etc., etc. But following that, I do believe there's going to be a reckoning and that reckoning will be severe. If you'd like to make a comment or respond to the Quicken Report in any way, please reach out to us too at Quicken Report on Twitter, Facebook, Minds. Also, feel free to send us an email to info at quickenreport.com. Look forward to hearing from you.